Amen. Morning. Morning. Um, Anna, if you don't know me, if you don't know me, you'll get to know me quite quickly. I'm quite loud. Um, and it's really lovely to be speaking to you this morning. I'm on the leadership team here. And um, we just really have felt God speak to us something through this series we're doing on preparing the way. And this morning I'm speaking on image. So I want you to start uh, just by thinking who is the most beautiful person that you know? And I want you to keep that in your head. Who is the most beautiful person that you know? Can't be yourself. Has to be someone else, just in case anybody falls on that one. So, image, it's the big thing of our time, isn't it? It's like a massive issue. How do you look and what do people think of you is the big issue of our time. Do you own Nike Air Force Ones that are pure white with no creases or marks on them or not? If you don't, you're sad, apparently. If you're more of a converse person, very good, although they are really expensive, but very good. Or are you so old and sad, like me, that you comfortably get your grippers out in public? Now, if English is your second language and you didn't understand what I said, don't worry, nobody over the age of 30 understood that either. This is a new thing. Did you not know this? Uh, I, I didn't know. But your grippers are your toes and your dogs are your feet. So apparently, you must never show your grippers. It's a terrible sign of aging. So I've made it to being old. So I was preparing for this preach, actually, a long, long time ago, three months ago. And I saw some research done by some hair people, Guy. So I'm sure it was done with absolutely philanthropic purposes in mind. But um, here it is behind me. I found it really, really interesting. Actually, you probably can't read it, so I'll tell you what the results are. Now, if you're a man, because we've said the word image, I don't want you to switch off. So this research has men and women in it. So listen to this. Their research found, which I think is probably an accurate representation of what I see at work. I'm a nurse as well. I see all generations at my work and what I hear from people saying about themselves. So they found in their research this. 55% of men do not think they are liked by others. 55%. Four in every five men do not believe they are attractive. 60% of men are not confident in their ability to do their job. And just half of men believe they are intelligent. 85% of women, which is absolutely staggering, do not believe they are attractive. And four in every five women do not feel confident in the way they look. And two-thirds of women are not confident in their ability to do their job. The majority of women do not believe they are intelligent. And more than half of women do not think they are liked by others. More than half of 16 to 24-year-olds worry about what others think of them. And 80% of people aged 35 to 54 say they're not confident in their appearance. One in every three young people feels they are generally disliked by others. 
and 90% of over 45s don't think they are attractive. It's shocking, isn't it, when it's in statistics, it's quite frightening. And actually, I think we can see, not just from research like that, there was actually quite a few other bits of research like that, but also by looking at the state of our nation, the health of our nation as a whole, we can see that there is an identity crisis in the UK going on at the moment. And I believe that's because people are looking to the wrong sources for their identity and their confidence. They're looking to themselves, to others, to their peers, to media and to culture. Often people's identity is entirely based in appearance, intelligence and status. But all of those things are changeable. Actually, we need to base our personal identity in who we are in God's eyes, and the core of our value and worth is based on the unchanging truths of God that never, ever change. However old you are, they stay the same. We find our identity in him, in who he is, and who he says we are. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, but you don't like yourself, either your body, your appearance, your weight, your character, I'm hoping that today God will really help you to change your worldview of how you see yourself. I want you to take off the glasses or the spectacles of our culture and to put on the glasses of God's worldview to see how he sees and to see how he sees you. And if you don't know Jesus today, but you're seeking truth, I'm going to pray that Jesus reveals himself to you through his Holy Spirit and shows you your value and your worth before God and your need for him to save you, to rescue you and to redeem you. So let's start with reading 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Do you want to look it up if you've got your Bible with, with you? So that's 1 Samuel 16, verse, or um, in, in uh, Bible's not in English, sentence 7, okay? So the background to this is that Samuel was a prophet. God had told him to go and look for a new king. Saul was king. Saul was uh, very handsome, very tall, very physically able, but not very good at doing what he was told. So God had said he will no longer be king and they're looking for a new king. And he sends Samuel to this family who have many, many sons and this beautiful, massive, great, big, handsome, fantastic man walks in and Samuel thinks, this chap is the king. Look at him. He's fabulous. And this is what God says to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Because the Lord does not look, of the, look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't look at what everybody else looks at. He looks at your heart. So what is the ugliest part of you, your outward appearance or your heart? 
That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And it's the starting point of changing our glasses and our worldview. God sees your heart, and he is concerned about your heart. He doesn't look at the things other people look at, namely your appearance, as defining who you are, defining your image and your identity. An easy way to remember it, which is in a great kid's song, which is, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So what is image? It's a word we use all the time. Well, in the Bible, when you read the word image, it refers to the likeness of one subject expressed in another. The likeness of one subject expressed in another. We're told right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, that we are made in the image of God. In all of creation, no other living being, plant, or anything else is made in the image of God, just us human beings. We are image bearers of God himself. Just think about that. However you think or feel about yourself, think about the fact that you are an image bearer of God. So I'm going to ask you, sorry, I'm always so like, like just constantly asking questions, uncomfortable questions. It's part of my preaching, it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to ask you, how distorted is God's image in you? Do you express his image well? Are you like him? Or is it more like, you know, those mirrors at the fair which like make you look all funny? I love them, you know, where you're like got a massive head or like really, really skinny, all of those things. Remember, as we're talking, that image is the likeness of one subject expressed in another. Actually, our image is found in our creator, the one who made us. He knows us because he created us. Human beings' identity and worth is not found in appearance, intelligence, status, your religion. No, our baseline worth from the moment we are conceived, as Rob read this morning, is that we are made in the image of God. We are knitted together in our mother's womb, completely hidden from the world, yet seen by the almighty creator of all people. That's how precious we are. We're created to bring glory to God, to magnify the one that created us, who loves us, and gives us life and breath. There's this wonderful phrase in Acts where it says, in him we live, breathe, and have our being. You are made to glorify him, and our purpose is to glorify God in whatever way he gifts you. So if you are creative with creativity, if you are brainy with your big brain, if you are musical with your musical talent, if you are helpful with service, if you are kind and compassionate, then you use that. You, do you see what I'm saying? You know, we're all so uniquely made. No other person is quite like you. And we're uniquely made to bring glory to God. You know, there is no comparing in the kingdom of heaven. You may have this thought process. Well, if I looked as lovely as so-and-so, or if I had the character of so-and-so, if I had the giftings of this person, if I was an academic person, then I would be more confident to be able to glorify God. But actually, the Bible is really clear. In our weakness, Christ is strong. 
He's created and formed you as you are. There's this wonderful verse in Isaiah 45, verse 9. It says this. It says, Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. It's saying, Who are we to question the almighty creator God about how he has made us? Let's look at some biblical examples of people who have imperfections, shall we? And see how God used them, whether he wrote them off because they weren't perfect. So we have Moses. He had a significant speech impediment, so much so that Aaron, his brother, would come with him when he spoke to Pharaoh. So significant that he brought someone with him so that he was understandable. Apparently, uh, the Apostle Paul was very short with a massive nose. He wasn't a looker, I think is what we can get from that. Also, he was single, so maybe that's reflecting that too. But, yet, but he still glorified God. He still wrote a significant part of the New Testament. And God used him to save many, many people. And when you read about him, he was a man who was so deeply loved by people that met him. They loved him. They cried when he left. They, they wanted him to be there all of the time. Um, an evangelist called Moody, American chap, whose ministry they estimate saw one million people saved. One million. He was five foot seven and 280 pounds, almost as wide as high, and he saw a million people saved. Joni Erickson was paralyzed from neck down at 17, yet her ministry has brought many people to Jesus and has set many people free, despite the fact that she lives in what is effectively a physical cage. The most beautiful person I know, obviously, other than Simon, obviously, uh, she's well into her 80s. In fact, to me, she, I don't think she's ever changed how she looks, but she must have because she's really a lot older now, like 40 years older than when I first knew her. But she shines Jesus. She attracts people to her by her inner beauty. Remember, 1 Samuel 6, verse 7. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Our value is never based in our body or our appearance. Yet, interestingly, the Bible isn't completely silent about our bodies either. Our bodies are one of the most amazing creative acts of God. They're truly incredible, aren't they? Don't you think our bodies are amazing? Like, if you just look at how an eye works, for example, it's absolutely incredible. St. Augustine commented that we often marvel at all of creation and like look at how wonderful the sunset is and all of those things, yet we so rarely marvel at the wonder of us, of how wonderful we are as a created being. We are incredible. Interestingly, even the details of the law that we read in the Old Testament is about looking after our bodies, reading it as a nurse, Loads of the things in there are to keep our bodies healthy and well and functioning for as long as possible. We see that God intends for us to care for and protect our bodies. Jesus used the model of how we love ourselves as how we should love other people. Do you notice that when Jesus goes to that town and there's that there man outside the town that, that's um, demonically possessed and he has gone completely 
crazy with it, so much so that he has to live outside of the town, and he's naked, stark naked madman running rounds. What does Jesus do when he meets him? Well, he heals him. Then does he leave him naked, dirty? No, he doesn't. He clothes him, and he's in his right mind. It's important, actually. It's a sign of being well. Jesus fed people. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he told him to care for his own body when he was sick, that physical exercise was of some importance, which I regard lightly, really. I just don't want to swear. It's so horrible, isn't it? Um, Our bodies are a gift from God. Your body is a gift from God. Whether you like it or not, your body is a gift from God. And we don't have the right to despise what the Creator has given us. We are told in 1 Corinthians 9 to be all things to all people. Well, that also applies to how we look, how we dress, what our hair is like. It's important to be culturally sensitive and appropriate. When I travel with Simon and we work with people in the Horn of Africa, I would never wear what I wear here, there. I dress completely differently. I am covered from head to toe when I am there because it's culturally sensitive and important that people are able to not feel uncomfortable when they're talking to you. You know, the Bible doesn't shy away either from the importance of physical attraction. Young people, you may want to cover your ears because you're going to blush so much. Actually, I'm going to look at you while I do it so I can see it. No, I'm not. (laughs) You know, it's so important when you've had children to enjoy those moments where you can embarrass them because of the number of times they've embarrassed you in public. Um, Do you notice um, that physical attraction is there right from the beginning? With regards to courting and sexual attraction in marriage, just look in Genesis when um, Adam saw Eve, when God made Eve in Genesis 2, and I think it's quite clear and heavily suggested that the becoming one happened pretty speedily after Adam saw Eve. It didn't take him a while, I don't suspect, to rally up the strength. I think it was probably there already. The book of Song of Songs is actually a book of the wonders of sex within marriage. And both the husband and the wife spend an uncomfortably number of chapters expressing their attraction and love of each other's bodies. And that's in the Bible. It's a book in the Bible. I have to say, if Simon told me that my teeth were like a row of goats, I probably (laughs) would be a bit upset. Oh, your cheeks are like pomegranates. Oh, thank you so much. Um, But apparently it did it for her, so there you go. Um, But, you know, in our thinking, it's really important that we put on God's glasses and we see his worldview in regard to our bodies. We need to acknowledge both the significance and the insignificance of our bodies. Our attitude to our bodies need to consider truths such as, first and foremost, we do not harm our bodies. We care for our bodies. We don't starve our bodies. We feed our bodies. We do not cut our bodies or despise our bodies. They are a gift to us. Whether you like your body or not, God loves you, and he created you with your body. He gave you your hips. He did. He wanted you to have your hips. 
He didn't make you exactly like the beautiful woman next to you. He made you you. And that's a wonderful gift that God has given us. In 1 Corinthians 6, we're told that when we're a believer, our bodies are a temple of God. You're not your own. You belong to God. So glorify God with your body. He doesn't say, just glorify God with your mind. That will do. He says, no, glorify God with your body. Incidentally, that is why sex is reserved for within marriage, where there is the blessing of God, because your body is important. It's to be protected. Who you join it with is really important, because your body is precious. We should not be people who are obsessed with how we look and our health. We're told in the Bible, physical exercise is of some value. So basically, look after your body. You know, I think it's fair to say in this country, there is an issue with overeating as well. And I would suggest that looking after our bodies by not being massively overweight is also helpful to keep your body running for as long as possible. Actually, our our bodies are a gift for us to glorify God with. Hours of our life and hours of our thought life and a lot of our money should not be spent on making our bodies imperfection and aging free. It's not a good use of our time or our money. Our body is based on our hearts, on our inner person, on how much we reflect Jesus. Our time And our our money and our thought life should go to glorifying God, to building his kingdom and investing our efforts into working with the Holy Spirit as he transforms you internally to become more like Jesus, to express his likeness. you, You know, it wouldn't be great if you got saved, you immediately become a size 10 supermodel. But no, that's not what happens. God's not so bothered. He's like... Actually, I'm really concerned about your heart, and that's what he works on changing. Another interesting thing that we see in the Bible about our bodies is, actually, we are to acknowledge and accept the physical limitations and imperfections of our bodies. Paul had a thorn in his side. We don't know what that was, but he had something that he was asking God to heal him from, and God did not heal him. He allowed him to have this, what was probably a physical limitation in his life, and Yet it was because through Paul's weakness, God's strength was seen. We use our imperfections and our physical limitations to allow God's glory to be revealed through them. We ask for healing as well. Yes, we do. But we also acknowledge when they are there and we seek God on how we can best glorify him. So what is our identity as Believers, How does God see you and me? Well, I tried to write out as many as I could think of, but there are so many that I've just limited it because I thought you'd probably all be getting a bit bored by now, so I thought I needed to limit it down. So it says in the Bible clearly, we are loved, we are accepted, we are valuable, we are the apple of God's eye, we are redeemed, we are made clean, we have the righteousness of Christ, we are set free, We are precious. We are his workmanship. Just to name a few of the things that the Bible says. And the most incredible thing is, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new creation. 
If you have a Bible on you, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, verses or sentences 17 to 25. My poor discipleship group, they did this last week with me. They're going to get it again. Apologies. So, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 21. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he was committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, we represent Christ to people, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that's talking about Jesus, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. What is your image? You're not a person of sin anymore. You're a person of righteousness. You actually have Christ's righteousness. It's not tainted. It's not dirty. You have Christ's righteousness as you stand before him. He has made you a new creation. Your old self is dead. You're a new creation. Next one. Let's look at Colossians 1 verses 10 to 14. So that's Colossians 1, 10 to 14. So Paul is saying how um, much he loves them and that he prays them all the time. And he prays that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have perfect bodies. No, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Your image, if you love Jesus, is that you have been taken out of darkness and you have been put into light. You're in a completely different kingdom. You're in the kingdom of Jesus. We should reflect the kingdom we are in. When people speak with us, when they see us, when they talk with us, we should, in our image, in the way that we are with other people, in our confidence that we have in ourselves, reflect the fact, I am in the kingdom of light. That is how we should behave. Our image and our identity changes. Some changes happen really quickly. 
As soon as you know Jesus, something changes and some parts of us change so rapidly so that your family is like, what is wrong with you? You're a completely different person. Or maybe, I actually like you now. That's really nice. But actually, other things take a really long time to change. And we work with the Holy Spirit as we change. We don't look at ourselves and analyze our identity and our image by holding a mirror to our culture and saying, what does our culture say I should be like? No, we hold it up to Jesus and to his word, and we seek to become more like him, to be image bearers of Jesus, to represent the king that we serve. And then I'll just read to you the last one, 1 John 3, verse 1. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, exclamation mark. And then it says, and that is what we are, because you can't hardly believe it, that we are called children of God. Your identity and your image is that you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus. You are an heir with Christ. That makes you precious. You're a child of the almighty creator, God. And the amazing thing is, God saves us, not just as a, you know, you, right, you're saved, that's it, you're done. No, he saves us into God's family, his church. Our identity also becomes a collective identity. You know, in a lot of the cultures we work in, They don't have the mindset we have here. We are, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me and possibly my family, but essentially it's about me and about three or four other people in my sphere. That's it. That's how our culture is. We're individualistic. The cultures we work in are community cultures. Your identity from the moment you're conceived is your clan. And in some of the places we work in, your identity is you're a Muslim. From the moment you're conceived, that is your identity. That your clan, your community, your nationality is everything. That's your image. That's who you are. And actually, church, we need to actually learn from that culture of learning that our collective identity is that we are the people of God. Yes, You are a child of God, but collectively together, we are the people of God. We are the church universal. We are the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world because we are saved into God's family. We need to take off our individualistic culture, which is all about you, and put on God's worldview. You are part of the family of God. It's so important. In 1 Peter 2, we're told that we're a royal priesthood, a people chosen by God. That's who we are. We are the hope of the world. And as a collective people, we reflect the image of God and the kingdom of God to those around us. So my question to you is, are you connected to your church family or do you stand alone? Do you wander the earth alone? Or do you plug into the family of God where we can love each other, serve each other, help each other to fulfill what God has called you to do in the beauty of the church family? 
Often I speak to people who feel really, they've just lost their identity in Jesus. They've lost it, and they've lost their image. It's all connected. Their body image goes, their connection with God goes. They just don't know what's going on. And often they have stepped out of being a member of the church family. They're kind of on the edge. We're not supposed to wander the earth alone. We're supposed to be in the church family, and we find security in the church family. Our church family holds us up when we're weak, when we are having that day where you think, I hate my body, I hate my personality, why do I have to be born like this? It's why we have your church family. So your church family can say, because you're a child of God, because you're lovely, because God's got plans for you that only you can do. That's why God's put us in family. Sorry, I've waffled on for ages. So does the uh, worship group want to come up? I just really feel in our society, particularly in the younger generation, that people are desperately seeking image. They're desperately seeking image, it's so important, but they're looking in all the wrong places. And we need God's grace to be able to show people that your identity, your confidence is found in Jesus and in who he says we are. I really felt uh, that there's people here today that you really... You actually despise your body, and that is the right word. You really hate your body, and you don't look after it, and you want to hurt it, and it's a real battle for you all of the time, either to not eat, to throw up, or to cut yourself. And actually, I'd really love you to um, get some prayer today. It may be that you just don't feel confident to go over to get prayed with, but grab someone that you trust and ask them to pray with you. I'll be at the front for a little bit and I can pray with you as well. But you're so fat, there's people here who you have a lot of physical limitations and it's really, really, really frustrating you. Uh, you've either got poor uh, physical or, or mental health and it's so frustrating you. Um, but I just feel God wants to just speak to you about his pleasure in you, his delight in you, and that he has things just for you to do. But shall we pray? Do you want to stand? You've done so well, it's so hot, and none of you have fallen asleep. Well done. (laughs) So let's just pray. I want you to think about that person that you would view as the most beautiful person. And I I want you to ask yourself, when you came up with that name, did you have God's glasses on, or did you have the world's glasses on? Because were you thinking about someone who's beautiful heart-wise, or were you thinking about someone who's beautiful body-wise? And if you thought of someone who's beautiful body-wise, and actually you don't know what their heart's like, I just want to challenge you. You need to change your glasses of what your standard of beauty is. You need to change them into how God sees people. Remember, man looks on the outside. God is concerned about our heart. He sees your heart. And is it beautiful before him? So let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you um, love us, that you die for us, that you became sin for us so that we could be made righteous. We thank you so much that we get the honour and privilege and mind-blowing truth that we become children of the living God. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of our bodies, the wonder of a body that works and functions and can make itself better and can do all the wonderful things that our bodies do. We're so grateful to you for our bodies. And I just really pray for us today that you would help us to live our lives in a culture that is obsessed with image, to live our lives 
evaluating ourselves with your glasses on, with your worldview on, rather than being influenced by our culture, but to be people who see ourselves how you see us and are investing our time, our energy, our money, our thought life into building on our hearts, making our hearts reflect your kingdom more. And we pray this in your name. Amen.